0: What a lot of people forget, too, is they they go into a franchise system and they think, well, I'm paying my 2% or 3% for marketing, so I'm good. I don't need to market. I don't need to do anything. It's whatever. I paid that marketing and that's it. The reality is, is every business in the world is recommended to spend 8 to 10% on marketing. If you want to see positive returns, that's just the reality. So to sit there and say, I paid 3%, I'm good, It's it's not realistic. You're not going to be successful like that.
1: Excited about this one. I got uh, Michael Llewellyn, director of operations for the Joey's Franchise Group. Um, known him for about ten years now. I think since he started the Joyce Franchise Group, and he's technically my boss, but I'm gonna take the reins on this one and uh, and dominate this conversation. So, Michael, I know you're always bragging about how many years you've spent in the restaurant industry. You started at like six years old or something. You're always telling me <laughs> as a dishwasher. But anyways, get into it. Get in your start. Get into how you got here today, how you became the director of operations.
0: Yeah. So I started in the industry. I was, I was very young, obviously, as you alluded to there. So, (laughs) so nicely, not quite six, but young. I was about 12 years old, started washing dishes. I think that's, you know, how most people kind of start in this industry is real young and need money. So (laughs) you start washing dishes, part-time jobs, Saturday and Sundays and you just keep working. So I was, you know, that's, that was kind of where I got my start and, worked hard and worked my way up, uh, went through high school, university and stuff still in the industry, held serving positions, bartending positions, got promoted, um, you know, with the BPI group up to a management position. That's, uh, quite the pay cut you take when you go from bartending to a floor manager. It's pretty crazy actually. Uh, you know, made my way up to a general manager, manager position and just kept working and never really looked back. I got an opportunity, uh, about 10 years ago, as you said, to, to come to the Joey's group, you know, their head office was in Calgary. So it kind of made sense for that next step to try to move my way into the head office environment and the corporate side of it. Uh, so I took that opportunity and here I am. So big
1: picture thinking, right? I think you had always told me you took the, uh, the head officer, you took the general manager position at the Crowfoot Joey's because of the head office here in Calgary, you knew that's where you and your wife wanted to be eventually. Yeah. So you're like, I think I have what it takes to eventually move into that, that head office role. So I'm taking this position versus all the other opportunities.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you take a pay cut, right? Obviously like when you're going from, you know, six, $7 million year restaurants that you're running doing, making pretty solid money. And then going to, you know, a smaller store that has a smaller footprint, less staff, everything's a lot smaller about it, right? So obviously the pay is equivalent to that. So it's a little bit smaller. And, you know, you take that pay cut looking long term, right? It's the same when you shift from a bartender to to a floor manager, same concept, right? Is you're not making 200 bucks a night in tips anymore. You're making 20 grand a year. (laughs) It's quite the difference, right? So yeah, that's kind of the thought process. Yeah, yeah, crazy. And then uh, obviously that opportunity
1: did eventually present itself to make that transition into the uh, the office as a regional manager. And yeah. and what were the first few years as a regional manager? You know, um, taking care of old franchise partners as far as our older concept being Joey's, and then also having a huge integral part into the creation curation of
0: of what Streets is today. Yeah. I mean, it's a big difference. It's you go from managing staff as a general manager and and floor managers, which, you know, you're, you're the direct superior. So they kind of have to report to you and they have to do what you want them to do. Right. Um, whereas when you shift to a regional manager, these are the owners of their businesses. A lot of these people have put their livelihoods on the line. They put their life savings on the line to start a business and get into it. And, you know, you, you can't just, give them crap when they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing you got to get that buy-in right and it's it's definitely a different skill set that you have to work towards and it, it obviously it worked out and I kind of figured out how to build that relationship and that rapport with those guys and you know they they accepted me pretty quickly some of the older guys you know um, they've been around 30 years right and I'm coming in as a 25 year old kid saying oh this is how you need to run your business so it's it's a challenge for sure but you know growing up in the industry like i said was definitely a huge asset and it, it i think it helped give me credibility with with a lot of these guys yeah
1: and you said you know building rapport building relationships that's probably the most important thing you you can do and and have done how long did that take roughly like what are we talking months we talking <laughs> years how many inspections no, how many it, visits did it take
0: yeah you you think there's a timeline you can put on it but you can't it, it never <laughs> ends right i mean like you you said, I'm director of ops now, it's not like it just stopped. You're still building these relationships every day. You're still working with these guys. There's still new challenges that arise all the time that, you know, you have to get their buy-in when you're, especially when you're making major changes to a concept, right? I mean, you know, we've, we've transitioned the last couple of years during COVID to, to the fish shack brand, which is a massive change for these guys that have been running Joey's only for 30 years. And it's not, an easy thing to go to them and say, yeah, we know it worked for the last 30 years, but you know, I'm here and this is changing. And you know, that's a big change for a lot of these guys and you got to prove it, right? There's no instant gratification and there's no instant buy-in, especially when you're talking about, you know, pivoting a brand that has been around for so long to say, yeah, we have the answer. Here it is. Yeah. Right. It's there, there's no silver bullet, I guess, to, to solve the problem of shifting a brand over, you know, that has a 30 year history to say, now this is how we're going to go forward. And this is going to solve all of your problems tomorrow. That's just not reality, right? It's the reality is, is we created fish shack to make sure we're still relevant in 20 years. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a slow turn. And it's, it's like turning an oil tanker. like it doesn't, you can't just turn it on a dime and, you know, there's a lot of things to change and a lot of movement and involved and policies, procedures, everything has to change, right. To, to adapt to the new times.
1: Yeah. And even then, like you say, you know, 2020, we kind of worked on that Fish Shack brand, but it wasn't even, it wasn't even green light, red light, red light, green light. You know, there was obviously a lot of yellow in there, meaning I think it's still evolving. Even the last couple of builds that we've done and we've seen out there, have absolutely. slowly started to look even a little different from that first Fish Shack.
0: Um, I think it was Grand Prairie, we, we ran out uh, mid 2020 there, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's the same with streets. Brands evolve, right? Especially young brands, new brands. It's... There's always that evolution where, you know, if you're not arrogant enough to say, I know all the answers and I know this is perfect, you you evolve and you learn from your customer base, you learn from your franchise partners, you learn from everyone. And, you, you know, you build something that's better and better and better as time goes, and it becomes something better if you're willing to look at it and actually work on what isn't working. Yeah. And if you're not evolving, you're
1: settling. And we all know what happens to brands that settle. I mean, exactly. I, I don't want to get in too much trouble here. Uh, but, you know, I know me and you talk about some brands out there that, you know, had some pretty big growth pretty fast and then just became very stagnant. And now have completely fallen off.
0: So absolutely. And there's, there's always going to be those brands, though, right? There's always going to be the guys that are flash in the pan. They come in and they get buy in whatever that looks like. But if you don't have a strong base, especially as a franchise company, there's no way you don't stand a chance. It's, you know, corporate versus franchise are very, very different. Corporate, head office, you're fiscally responsible to every single business and every unit, right? And that's how you grow is if the business is making tons of money, then yeah, you build another one. Um, Franchise is kind of the same in the sense that if they're not making money, people aren't gonna buy them. But if you create enough hype around the brand and people get excited about it, They make mistakes regardless if it's making money. They blow up and they open 100 locations. But if it's not financially viable, you find out real quick and they start to crumble pretty fast.
1: Yeah. So obviously the franchisor has to make make sure their franchise system makes sense as far as like, hey, can our partners make money opening these things? Are we opening them cheap enough? Do we have all our targets in line, meaning labor and food costs and all that? But obviously, there's there's a huge part that plays in as the individual owner-operator as well, right? Because we see it. We have 22 streets locations, <laughs> 44 Joey's locations. And the difference in sales, you know, besides maybe some being in a tough location or whatever, the difference in sales seems to be completely related to how the operator performs and how they market and how they're involved in the community. So elaborate a bit on... um you know, successes,
0: individual successes you see within our systems. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a franchise is is the same as any other business. I mean, the point of a franchise is to ensure that we give you the tools and the knowledge and the systems to properly execute the business. We coach, we go in, we spend time with the owners and the franchise partners, and we make sure that they understand their Finances, and they understand their labor, and why there could be sales issues, and how to market properly. All these things are done by franchise systems, and that's the value that we bring to to a business owner. The reality is, though, is you're still a business owner, and you still have to run the business yourself. And I mean, we have what six guys in our operations side, and like you just said, 66 restaurants. Uh We can't be at every location every day to run the businesses for them. That's just not reality. Um, as much as we try to get across to these partners that this is your business and your your savings and your money, and we can tell them, I mean, it's the old adage, right? Lead a horse to water. But the reality is, is if you're not willing to put in the work and 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 run the business and put the time and effort in, you're not going to be successful. I don't care how great, it can be the greatest brand in history. It doesn't matter. You know, like streets, greatest brand ever unbiased completely unbiased in there (laughs) yeah exactly they still can't run themselves right it's just reality if you leave it up to a 15 year old staff member that you've hired to run your business for you odds are it's not going to be very successful right we we have many franchise partners that do an amazing job and they they understand and they go in and they put the time in and they put the work in they do the marketing they do everything we coach them to do Whenever we go in and do inspections, they, they correct what we recommend they correct. We, they, they follow the systems. They're hugely successful. We have other you know, partners maybe sometimes that don't want to put as much time in, and that's fine. There's, there's investor partners too, but they have to realize that you need someone to run your business. So there needs to be a manager in place. There needs to be someone, again, that will listen to our recommendations, follow our systems, and, and really make the business thrive. And that's probably the biggest thing we see is that, you know, we have v- hugely successful restaurants where the owner went in, busted their butt real hard, worked really, really hard for a six, eight month period, set the business up for success, put the right people in the right places and key, key positions. And now they do. Now they only have to be there one or two days a week, few hours, they go do payroll, some inventories, you know, yeah. there's way less time involved Yeah, when you set the business up. The key is, is the business has to be set up to succeed before you can pull back like that, and if you're not willing to put the time and effort in, it's just it's not going to happen. It doesn't matter. No, that's interesting that you say
1: that. You know, you were talking about investors as 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 franchise partners, you know, and then kind of being dependent on, you know, either an hourly employee or maybe you have a salaried manager. You know, on an earlier episode, we were talking to Nigel, and um, you know, he's the manager of the place that we're currently sitting in, but he's also a, a a part owner and you know, he said it in his own words. He's like, I feel invested in this business. I feel like it's mine. I care about this place. So instead of hiring a manager that's, you know, working there nine to five or in this industry, probably like 11 till nine, and then just cutting out right away, you know, maybe it's those extra couple hours that he's getting out in the community. And
0: that's what bringing in an owner as a manager does. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we we highly recommend that any investors that come into our system, Whoever they put in place as the manager, there's nothing wrong with investing in franchises. That's what, that's what franchises are designed to do. Having three, four, five, six locations, there's nothing wrong with that. It's it's a very effective way to build cash flow and do very very well for yourself. The difference is, is like you said with Nigel, is having an owner manager changes the game. It, it changes everything. They have they have skin in the game. They care, right? They they want to make sure that their you, business is successful. You give a shit. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And that's, that's really the reality is we recommend to all of our franchise partners. If you're going to be an investor franchise partner, the manager you bring in, we highly recommend they have at least 10% ownership. Doesn't sound like a lot, but it's enough to make a big difference in how much that person cares about what they're doing every single day. Yeah.
1: And I feel like sometimes maybe the owners get a little scared. Like I don't want to give up 10% of my business, but what they don't realize is if if that business ain't making money, like 10%, 10% of nothing It's yeah. still nothing, right? Exactly, so it's yeah. just like, you know, it's that extra incentive. It's that extra drive for these managers to go out and drive their business, right? There's only so much that we can do as a franchisor, as far as a marketing perspective. So what is it something like that you would recommend, you know, franchise partners to do to help market above and beyond what what is the franchisor is doing for them?
0: <laughs> yeah, so I mean, what a lot of people forget too, is they they go into a franchise system, and they think, well, I'm paying my 2% or 3% for marketing. So I'm good. I don't need to market. I don't need to do anything. It's whatever. I paid that marketing and that's it. The reality is, is every business in the world is recommended to spend 8 to 10% on marketing. If you want to see positive returns, that's just the reality. So to sit there and say, I paid 3%, I'm good. It's, it's not realistic. You're not going to be successful like that, right? Now, there's other ways you can put money in. you don't have to put direct physical money in and advertise, you know, the way digital marketing or, you know, flyer drops, whatever that may look like, right? It's not always about money. LSM, local sales marketing, is, in my opinion, almost the most effective form of marketing. You know, 20 years ago, that was the only way to market was LSM marketing, flyer drops, that kind of stuff. You know, we went really hard to digital for the last 10, 15 years. It was huge, you know, Facebook marketing, LinkedIn Instagram, all these marketing platforms where it wasn't saturated. You can get a ton of action and a ton of response for low dollar amounts. The reality is, is because that's so saturated now, you're getting way higher returns on LSM. Basically going out into the community and offering your food up and, you know, some free taco cards. We, we push this hard on all of our franchise partners. It's almost a, a, dot, a dead art it's almost like it just disappeared and no one did it anymore because why would you when you can put 10 bucks to boost a post on Facebook so now it's far far more effective than it ever was because it's almost like when you go to the place people are shocked and surprised by it oh look these guys came in here and gave me food and wow this is crazy right so there's there's a lot of things you can do and we teach our partners and we push really hard for them to put the time in and go into the community and get your name out there and your your awareness, right, for your specific location. That's one of the biggest things about streets that you know everyone's really excited about is streets is so different than your traditional franchise, right? It's it's unique, it's community driven. It's there's a reason why we name them Streets Beltline Kitchen for example where we are right now. It's for that area. It's that neighborhood. It's not even the city, it's the neighborhood you're in. And we really pushed that with our brand is that you need to be, have that community involvement because it's a massive part of marketing that went away and it's, it's valuable, very valuable.
1: Yeah. You don't see a lot of other franchise companies kind of, you know, um, adapting each store not only in the way it looks but the way it gets involved in the community you just see kind of these big franchise companies just slapping these things wherever they want right so by taking a name like streets bell line like streets oliver streets fort sass whatever neighborhood we are in what is it what do you
0: think that like what's the perception from the community when we do those types of things well i think they instantly take it as one of their their own place right it's their spot it's their community spot and you know, Gen Z and millennials, there's been a big shift and, you know, the old boomer crowd, they're, they're very all about corporate, right? Applebee's is where it's at. (laughs) That's just (laughs) the way it was for a long time. Right. And says no millennial ever. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Uh, You know, the new reality of millennials and Gen Z is that they want to go to a local spot. They want to feel like it's their area and they can walk in and shake hands with the owner and know who it is, right? And yep. no franchise system's really done that yet. And I think, you know, I think we're a trend starter and we're way ahead of everybody else on that line. But also, probably
1: becomes one of our biggest challenges is pushing that Absolutely, issue. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So, Um, in your opinion, then what are the biggest challenges with, with onboarding a new franchise partner and setting these expectations that these are some of the things that they can do that they
0: should be doing? Well, it's exactly what you said. I mean, people opening a restaurant, like opening any business is overwhelming. There's a lot going on. There's a million things you have to worry about all the time. And it can be overwhelming to not realize and put your priorities where they need to be. Right. It's, a lot of business owners make the big mistake where they're they're really focused on the pennies and dollars are walking out the back door, yeah. right? That's an old saying, and it, it's true though, right? So getting that point across to them is really important for the regional manager to develop that relationship where they trust and they believe. Oh, no, you know what? This guy's got my best interest in heart, and he's telling me this is what I need to do to be successful with my business. I need to take an hour a week, two hours a week and get out into the community and do this LSM. And really it's, it's just critical that they get out in the community and they really focus on driving business. Yeah.
1: Just do a little bit more than just opening up your doors at 11 o'clock and expecting everybody to walk in. Absolutely. Um, so that's great. You know, you're talking a lot about what the franchise partner needs to do to, um, drive their business and have success, but like what do What do you do as the Director of operations to ensure success and sustain success over the next few years because ultimately these franchise partners are kind of putting their life their business in your in in your hands in our hands a little bit as far as you know we have to make sure we're on top of probably the food costing and the marketing that we do do as well as you know staying trendy and relevant you know streets obviously has um quarterly features and we have to make sure that we curate those and drive those. Um, so what does that look like from the director of ops position, uh,
0: position? Well, you just answered the whole question.
1: <laughs> no, you but know, you can it's, elaborate. It, it, a yeah. Bit more. It's, it's
0: staying up on food transits, everything you can imagine to run a business we're doing from the top level, right? So, you know, the average restaurant, you should be looking at your food costs twice a year, at least you should be drilling down, looking at your expenditures, especially these days with inflation and the rising of, of, of prices of base groceries and things like that at least twice a year so we do it for them right they don't have to worry about that kind of stuff we go through and we look at all our food costs we do all the analysis and we make sure that the food cost comes in line where it needs to be for the business to make money and be successful right Um, how do you do that (laughs) that's a big question um how do you
1: calculate food costs across multiple restaurants? Like what's the easiest way to do that? Does
0: is there technology that helps with that? Not really. It's it's still the old school way. It's you know there's there's new technology coming um with some of the new POS systems that we we've been looking at really recently where they kind of they take in all of the product mix which is what you sell every day on a day-to-day basis. They analyze the product mix versus the inventory invoices so your Pratt's order your gfs your cisco order that comes in is automatically injected into the system so there are systems that are coming that way uh they're not quite bulletproof yet they're getting close they're doing a good job and you know in the next few years we'll definitely be on that trend um as as streets and joeys and making sure that we're at the forefront of technology obviously at all the time right that can assist those franchise partners but the reality is is you still sitting in an Excel sheet, entering, you know, your average cost of tomatoes and jalapenos <laughs> and onions. And you're going through and saying, "Okay, I need this many ounces on this taco. And here's what this taco costs after you run all the numbers out. And here's where our food cost needs to be in order for us to make money as a business. So it's, there's a lot to it. I mean, it's not something you can really explain in a conversation. You can, I can show you <laughs> if you <laughs> want to see, blessed. um, But no, it's, there's a lot that a franchise system has to do. I mean, you know, like you said, the trends and the food trends, the marketing, the brand awareness, the, like we were just talking about with the technology, keeping up on technology and ensuring that, you know, we have the most relative technology and the latest technology to assist these franchise partners. So they're not spending, you know, three, four hours a week worried about payroll. The system just does it for them and they can focus on customer service and lsm and all these other things that we talked about right Uh, making sure their staff are doing a good job and things like that they the more they focus on administration the less time they have to focus on their actual business and their business needs to be customer service and putting out great food yeah the customer doesn't give a crap
1: about you know if their employees got paid or not they care about how they are treated every single time that they come into the business so when restaurant owners you, obviously this new technology hopefully will take a lot of that off their hands. So absolutely that's what you're saying is yeah. so they can focus on the important stuff, community involvement, taking care of customers, creating an atmosphere and putting out the best
0: product possible. Absolutely. And in the grand scheme of things that's really what a franchisor does. That's what I do is every day I go into the office and okay, how can I make the franchise partners lives simpler? What technology, what systems, what policies, what procedures, all these different things so that they can focus on good food and customer service. Yeah, The more we can do so that they can focus on those things, the better, the more successful we're all going to be and the the better job we're doing at the office.
1: Yeah. And the, and the more you take that into consideration, meaning how can I make the franchise partners lives better? I'm sure it's probably then becoming easier to sell an individual franchise Absolutely. to the next person
0: as well. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's it, It's a compounding thing, right? The more, the more a franchise partner can sit there and say, man, like running the streets is not that complicated. You know, they do all these things for me and the systems are automated. I just got to come in and make sure the staff's doing a good job. And you know, they tell people it's a word of mouth. It's just like, you know, selling a taco to a customer. It's the same thing when, when we have franchise partners coming into the system and if they're telling all their friends, Hey, I run this business, it's a street. I'm making great money. I'm, you know, I don't have to kill myself every day. I'm not there 14 hours a day. I'm, you know, it's I got great work life balance and I'm making killer money. I mean, it sells itself, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're we
1: we're kind of balancing a fine line. Are we in the restaurant business? Are we in the restaurant selling business? And we always make the argument that like if you make the restaurant cool enough, good enough,
0: you know, the restaurants sell themselves. Absolutely. So then you're doing both at the same time. Absolutely. It's one and the same. It's it it sounds counterintuitive. You know, a lot of franchises, like you said, they're, they're in the franchise sales business. That's what they care about. The reality is, is if you do a really good job at the store level, running the restaurant, making good money, you don't really have to try that hard to sell a restaurant.
1: Yeah. Who cares about that 25 or $35,000 franchise fee up front, right? We want, these franchise partners to have success over the next five, 10, 15, 20 years where we are then getting paid in perpetuity and build these relationships. And, you know, I always tell franchise partners when I'm talking to them, it's just like, your success is our success. Cause in reality, you know, it's the royalties we collect that pay our salaries to then drive their business. And, you know, we are partners. We always talk about partners. We're not their bosses. We're not, you know, anything above like we're partners.
0: Absolutely. They're, they're our customer, just like a customer walking in off the street is, is coming to buy a taco and they're the restaurant, the actual physical location is customer. The franchise partner is our customer.
1: Yeah. I we need like to
0: take care of them. We need to work with them and we need to always acknowledge that, like you said, they pay the a salary. They make sure we're relevant and we exist because without them, we don't have jobs. So it's always critical, and you know, I really drive it into the operations team that at the end of the day, these people pay your salary and they need to be treated as such. They don't work for us. So was the customer always right in this in this sense? <laughs> uh, you know, for the most part, yes. The issue is, is just like with any business owner, emotions get involved, right? They put their life savings on the line, they're working at grinding every day to do well and run a good business. But the reality is, is Sometimes that can cloud your vision, right? I mean, I I ran restaurants for a long time as a general manager. The biggest risk you can have to owners or GMs or anyone in the restaurant business is it's very easy to get what we call blinders. So you walk through the same front door every single day, you do it for weeks, months, years, you can miss a little thing that to you, you see every single day. So it's completely normal, a speck of dirt under a table, whatever it may be. And that compounds to every aspect of the business. Right. And it's very easy to miss that spec. Right. And that's why we do inspections. That's we're not there to trip them up and catch them doing things they shouldn't be doing. It's there to say, Hey, we're a fresh set of eyes. We're walking into your business. And you know, you're in here every single day. You, you may have thought this was normal, but this isn't normal. You know, a customer looks at it this way and here's what you need to fix. Right. And that's just the reality is you kind of. <laughs> just... <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you have to, you have to have that extra set of eyes, you right? You're on and
1: such a roll. I know. I was just couldn't put the couldn't, cherry on top. Couldn't nail but it. But that's all right. So, um, Joey's Fish Shack Streets, Director of Ops, Michael Llewellyn. Um, where do we see the brand going in the next five, 10 years? Where do you want to be? Where do you think we can be? What's, what's realistic? What is ultimately, I know me and you talk quite a bit and we have pretty big ambitions, Of course we're. but what's reality? What does it look like over the next five, 10 years?
0: Well, the reality is, is we've worked really hard over the last few years to build out the systems, identify some of the issues, correct those issues, and really turn it into a, a solid brand that that can expand. And as we talked about earlier, you know, there's there's brands out there that flash in the pan. We're always cognitive that and ensuring that that isn't our brand, mm-hmm. won't happen to us, that we have the base and we have the systems that if we blow up to one, two, three, four hundred 400 stores, we have the a strong base to be able to handle that and, and deal with it and keep that success rolling. Um, so that's really it is we're there. We're on the tipping point, And I think in the next few years, you'll see the tip. The reality is, is I easily see us with our American expansion coming in this year, us being at the two, 300 locations in the next five years. Mm, that'd be nice. It's huge numbers. It sounds aggressive, but it's reality. I mean, eventually you hit a critical mass and you start to grow faster and faster. You build the company with it and you have rapid growth. I mean, that's how all the big boys started, right? They had 10 locations, then they had 20, then 30, then 40. And eventually if you can grow the business and the stability and the platforms and the systems with the growth of the brand, you manage the the growth and you keep it growing faster and faster. And the company obviously gets bigger and bigger. To sustain that growth and to manage the growth and handle it. Yeah. So build it as they come, not build it then they come. Correct. Yeah. What is it? Build it
1: as. What is the Rome saying? What is it? Build it. Build it when in Rome. When in I don't know. Anyways, um, no, that's interesting. I mean, that's really exciting. I think you know we're gonna do big things, and I'm I'm glad to see you at the helm and taking control over all these issues. So. Thanks. Not just issues, obviously, but obviously all the good opportunities. opportunities,
0: opportunities, opportunities. All
1: challenges are an opportunity to do better. Exactly. And our uh, our day to day is full of challenges, but I think it's made us better as a as a whole. Man. Absolutely. We built a great head office team, and I yeah. think we have great relationships with lots of our franchise partners. And Absolutely. It's building on that, and then finding. More great partners to continue building with. Absolutely. One last question before we go. We talked a lot about you know community involvement, getting involved in the community, whether it's our Streets for Streets uh, food raiser or you know the way we encourage our franchise partners to interact with the community. But one of I think one of the coolest things that we've done, and this was actually the first store we did it in, number eight um, Streets Beltline Kitchen, was we hire local graffiti artists um, to come in and paint the murals to kind of have some inspiration from the local community, but also, you know, um, put the artists kind of artistic touch on things as well. So what was the
0: decision like when, when doing that and, and coming up with that idea? Well, it's exactly like you said, right. It's being part of the community and hiring local artists and local talent to build these works of art. That's what they are. I mean, yes, it's graffiti. Yes. It's, you know, streets, uh, but at the end of the day, it's it's a work of art. These these guys are artists, and they do amazing work, and they're very, very talented. And we want to share that with the community and support the local artists in in those communities. So it's just like we talked about earlier, how community involvement is so important. This is just another extension of that in a way for us to honour the community and honour the local artists in the community and give them some recognition and work too, right? But obviously, it's paid. It's not a volunteer basis, so we pay them to come in and do what they do
1: yeah and obviously it's it's one more person that's then promoting our place absolutely because they want all their that friends and family <laughs> to go check out the the big mural that absolutely they posted, right? it's not 100
0: so. percent altruistic but you know it, it yeah. is great that we involve the community as much as we possibly can and i think that's just the reality of the demographics that that are shifting in the world is the millennials and gen z's care about that stuff they care about local community i mean we're millennials too we we're probably the biggest proponents of it. Where we go eat, it's always local community spots. When's the last time we went to Harvey's? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're supporting the local community and I think a lot of the people in our generation feel the same way and we're giving them a franchise where they can do that. I mean, we just got the locally owned and operated stickers for the front doors. So people understand we're not a big corporate structure. These are, community members that have put their life savings on the line and they've opened a business and they're working hard to run a great business and give some great food to the, to the local community.
1: Yeah. I like that. I like those locally uh, owned and operated because, you know, people need to understand that, right? Like, yes, it's a big, bad franchise coming in their small town, but ultimately it's most likely someone from their community that ended up buying into that franchise. And just because, you know, they have a bit of brand recognition and they started in a big city doesn't mean that this individual who lives and breathes and probably grew up in this small town, you know, they want to be treated as as a local business and such. Well, right? they are local businesses. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's awesome. And, uh, you know, I'm excited to continue working with these graffiti artists. I think it's a great initiative and it's it awesome seeing every mural turn out a little bit differently as well as, you know, we got the sickest artwork of any franchise there is. That's true. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah.